0: Our scripture reading this morning will be Psalm 20 as well as Psalm 21. That's on page 456, which is a pew Bible. Um, Several of us tried to make sure that there is one available in the row in front of you somewhere if you don't have a Bible. And I know exactly what the pew Bible looks like because for the first time ever, I left my Bible in my office and I'm using a pew Bible, a great copy of God's word. Uh, So I will read Psalm 20 and 21, page 456. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May He remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the King. May he answer us when we call. In Psalm 21, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips, for you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, This second week of Advent, we look at two royal psalms that go together. Psalm 20 is a corporate song asking for deliverance on the eve of battle. And then we'll see Psalm 21 rejoices uh, that deliverance was given, but also looks forward to a future deliverance. And so this brings up a common Advent theme of the need to have trust, Not in our circumstances or ourselves, but in our God. So firstly, we will look at the need for trust. Secondly, uh, confident trust through past deliverance. And then confident trust in future deliverance. Uh, Firstly, Psalm 20 shows us the need that we all have for trust. And the first five verses are prayers for help from God. It is obvious the context here is of great difficulty and need of help from and trust in God. As verse 1 speaks of the day of trouble and then God's name protecting us. One note would be that the you is actually the first person singular, which is probably in reference to whoever the king was at that time in Israel. So essentially, uh, the people are... Praying these first few verses for the king. Maybe David, maybe someone else. They claim their heritage from God's promises to Jacob, rooted in the Abrahamic covenant to bless his descendants, of which they were. Their identity is in covenant relationship with God, established by him with Abraham. And therefore, there is the ask of help even from the sanctuary, which was where the ark was kept representing God's very presence. Uh, the temple had not yet been built. Remembering the sacrifices wasn't though a way to earn favor with God or to make Him do something. That could be a common misconception to say, well, you look what we've done. We've obeyed you with these burnt offerings, so you must do what we say. These burnt offerings should be evidence of the faithful obedience of his people. There are more specific blessings and prayers uh, in verses 4 through 5 on behalf of or for their leader. May, May God grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. There is a, a prayer, a call for help from God. There is a, a humble reliance from the people, not in themselves or in their king, but they're asking God to help them and help Him in His plans, fulfilling His heart's desires, which should be aligned with God's own purposes and will. But there's a, a shift in verses 6-9. to nine which are prayers of assurance in God by the King. The shift is in the uh, pronouns. Verses 6-9, to a response from the King to the people praying for Him as their leader before battle as He ushers in assurance. Verse 6 shows assurance in God answering His prayers with confidence that we will, He will save His people. He says this, I know that the Lord saves. He will answer. It's from His right hand. So the leader is assured because of who God is. Confident that He is going to do something on behalf of His people. The focus of the King is on God rather than his own wisdom, his own soldiers, his own weapons, etc. That's made very clear in verse 7, when he says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, uh, one commentator, uh, Derek Kidner, he points out that the chariots and the horses uh, were the most formidable force in the ancient world. So it would have been obvious, it would have been easy for any military commander, for any soldier to look with their own eyes and say, my trust is in that group of horses over there or those chariots. That's how I know that we will have victory. That's how I know that I will not perish in battle. And so King David is saying in Psalm 20, that's the temptation my assurance will be in what I see. My assurance will be in who I am. Or what team I'm on. Or what I have. But that's, that's not what David is saying. He says his trust is in the name of the Lord. Irregardless of the chariots or the horses that he sees with his own eye. It is interesting that when we think about the most common Old Testament benediction, which would be from uh, the priest Aaron in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. No, the sermon's not over. guess. That's, that's usually the end of the service, but we're not finished yet. But that's, that's, we all know that. We, we do that two, three, four months out of this, this year of how we finish the service. But the benediction is a reminder, it is a blessing of who those people are. How do we know this? Because after that benediction from Aaron in Numbers chapter 6, uh, the Lord says this, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. That's a reminder. Where is our assurance from? Numbers is named so because they're doing a a, a census before they go into battle in Canaan. And this benediction is given from Aaron to say, may the Lord do these these things for you. And this is the priest putting the name again of telling you who you are, of whose you are. Your identity, your your value is not in the, the horses and chariots that you may or may not have. It is only in the name of the Lord. Which where would we get this? Well we get it in the benediction. Every, every Sunday, we are reminded of whose we are. We're the Fathers, the Sons, and the Holy Spirit's the name of the Trinity. When did that occur? At, at the baptism. The benediction is a reminder in our liturgy every week of our baptismal identity, which is not your last name, not your retirement account, not your current job or income, not your looks or your profession, not in horses and chariots and governments and political power, but the trust, the assurance is in the Lord Himself as it was with David. There's also a a similarity between the plea of of verse 1 and the reminder again of needing an answer in verse 9 of there's petitions, there's needs. But we're all in situations where we face the ultimate question of who or what will we trust? That's a live question for all of us today. Who or what will we trust? And it's, it's only one way of answering. It's only really two answers. In the name of the Lord, or not in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, with who He is, or in myself, or in my family, or in my money, or in something else. But David shows us the pattern here of making humble requests to God, for help, rather than have futile trust and all those other things. But as I said, Psalm 21 uh, goes with Psalm 20. They're separate songs, but there's a common theme. We can have confident trust right now through past deliverance. Because if you look at verses 1 to 6 in Psalm 21, victory is given. Psalm 21 is a a celebration, a royal psalm of of celebration. There was a psalm of, of need, of desperation, a need for trust before battle. Psalm 21 is a victory song, sung throughout the nation of Israel because there is victory. There's been salvation from the battle, as verse 1 states. Verse 2 says, God has given this king his heart's desire, which echoes the petition of Psalm 20, verse 4. We asked that you would give our king his heart's desire. You did. We won. We have victory. There's a focus again on, on what the Lord is, on who he is, what he's done, as we see, you have given. You meet, you set a crown, you gave it to him. It's your salvation. You make, you make. There's a focus again on the victory, but not on David. Not on David's mighty men. But the fact that God answered those prayers. Lord, we're your people. You need to deliver us. And they say, well, he did. And he's the one who did it. We say this all the time around here, but we are grace recipients. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we own is on loan. It's been given by the Lord Jesus Christ to His people out of His grace and His mercy and His overflowing abundance. There's no room for pride. King David fought many battles. No idea which one this is in reference to. He was a great leader in many ways, but gives all the credit to God himself. What did he do? He gave the king his heart's desire. Rich blessings, it says. A crown of fine gold or a crown of victory. God gave David life. He gave him length of days. He gave him blessing. He gave him gladness with the joy of his own presence. All of these things. Psalm 21, the first six verses say, God gave him all those things from his own right hand. And so, therefore, the pattern in our life is God has delivered. Therefore, trust should be enjoyed. In God. In verse 7, it states, for the king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. That's the pattern in our life. I need him. He shows up and delivers. My trust grows. But then when I need him again, what do I go back to? That he's already delivered for me before. Therefore, through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Trust, as defined, can mean to throw one down upon his face. Literally, to to prostrate oneself on the ground in front of someone else. But this word for steadfast love is probably the richest word in all of the old Testament. This steadfast love, this never ending, ever dependable covenant love of God for His people is the very foundation for His trust. It never ceases. That's why it's called steadfast. Steadfast love is never ending, but it's always rooted in God's relationship with His own people that He established. It's in the Most High God above all other so-called Canaanite gods. There is also an echo of Psalm 16.8. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 10.6 says, He says in His heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. Now, the meaning is that we will not face adversity to the point of being moved out of God's plan or out of His salvation. Because of course we face the possibility of being shaken, or our faith moved. But if it's, if it's rooted in God's own steadfast love that never changes, that never ceases, His plans never fail, then we will never be moved by any opposition, adversity, or life's circumstances. Of course, that will be the case if our hope is in ourselves, our trust is in each other. No suffering... Or circumstances can move the people of God, regardless of storm or warfare. But again, this this is showing for us a pattern. There is difficulty and a need for trust. We place our trust in the Lord, He grants deliverance, and then it all happens again. That's the pattern of Israel, and they mark those things. Because all of us have spiritual amnesia. Because once something difficult comes into our life and some suffering, what do we do? Well, where's God? Well, why did he do this? Does he still love me? Of course he does. But we forget. We're moved seemingly. So what does Israel do? Well, we saw this earlier this year, Joshua chapters three through four. God enables them to cross the Jordan River without getting wet. Because he's taking them to the land he's going to give them. What do they do? They place 12 memorial stones that they wouldn't forget. Where else does this, does this take place? First Samuel uh, chapter seven, they have a great victory against the Philistines, and he gives them what is called an Ebenezer stone. Eben, in Hebrew means help." In a sense, he's saying, this is the stone of help. God, let's not forget. That we had a time of need and God helped us. God condescended. He gave us the victory. But we're going to forget when we face the next suffering in five days or in one hour. We can't. We need help. And Kidner also points out that there's a connection between these chariots and horses that are, that are mentioned in these psalms with what? Where did we first see chariots and horses against God's people? Egypt, as, as we have just seen this fall, it was chariots and horses that were chasing the Israelites as they were trying to get to the Red Sea. And they all drowned in the Red Sea with all of their chariots and their horses. God brought that victory, that ultimate salvation in the Old Testament for His people, lest they forget Psalm 78 is one of the many historical psalms, which is verse after verse after verse of what the Lord has done for His people. It is a song of remembrance of everything that He's done. All the promises that He's kept. And brothers and sisters, this is hard to have trust in present circumstances because of what God has done in the past. Because you say, is He going to do it again? As the new year approaches, it would be a good idea for families to write down prayer requests and keep them. And month after month, look at that and say, well, what what is the Lord doing with these family prayer requests? Until the month of December arrives and we reflect back so that we remember. That might be a journal of some kind, a prayer journal. I had my own prayer requests in my own heart uh, for 2022. Let me tell you, a few of the requests, uh, it's not gotten better. Certain circumstances in my life have gotten far worse from January of 22. Without that anchor of previously answered prayer requests, anchored in God's relationship that He chose to start with me, then we are a ship on the ocean without a rudder. But this is a call in Psalm 20 and 21 to say, trust in the Lord with your present circumstances because of what He's already done in the past. But it even goes further than that. At the end of Psalm 21, there's confident trust in a future deliverance. That is a total deliverance. In verses 8 through 12, there's, there's another shift in pronouns but also in verb tenses we we go from the past to the future in verses 8 through 12 and the people are now speaking again after the king declared victory in verses 1 through 7 this is a forward look at total deliverance or victory and that all gods and his people's enemies will be defeated as verse 8 says his hand will find out all your enemies And find out those who hate you. Verse 10 points to this totality being worldwide and generational as there is destruction of descendants from the earth. And this should remind us in many ways of God's covenant with Noah. That he could do this worldwide. It reminds us of the covenant with Abraham. That generations will be blessed, but generations can be cursed. And also with the covenant with Moses. How did that covenant start? With the salvation of Israel from Egypt. All of this is very possible, but it's pointing to something altogether different. This is not just one battle that David or Ahaz or Hezekiah is going to eventually fight. This is cataclysmic cataclysmic, eternal worldwide pointing to some other king who's going to do this for God's people. Let me read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7b-9. through 9. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might most likely, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, reminding them of the promises of Psalm 20 and 21. As all of these themes come back at the return, the second return of Jesus, Jesus' first advent already accomplishes many of these things in these victories. The enemies are defeated on the cross. You want an Ebenezer stone to remind you that the Lord helps you? Look at the cross. You want to see the true king who reigns eternally in righteousness, who's worthy of your trust? Look at the cross and where he's earned that trust. You want to think about a crown of gold. The Lord Jesus owns that crown of gold because he took our crown of thorns on the cross and gave us his crown of gold, which John says, multiple times as a theme in the book of Revelation, is going to be our crown. As we persevere through suffering, trusting in him, not in our circumstances, Revelation 2:10 and 3:11, call us to perseverance, because we're going to attain an eternal crown of gold, of victory, victory over death, victory over sin, no more suffering, no more tears, no more enemies. We already have that assured more than David because of the person in the work of Jesus. So then what is the response from this total victory that will one day come? What should we do right now? Total praise. Verse 13 ends this way. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Because of who you are and what you have done for us. The rest of our lives until we see you again, Jesus, in your second advent. And when we see you, we'll be this. We will sing and praise you of your power. That's the focus of all corporate worship happening in the throne room right now, according to Revelation 5. And every Sunday we gather. We sing because of who God is. And what he has already done for us. He's already delivered you. From your greatest enemy. Therefore. As you wait. For the answers to your other prayer requests. Which may not come in the next week, month, or year. How can you continue to trust him? Because of who he is. His covenant steadfast love for you which is not based on your circumstances, but on what He's done for you. Just take away all your sins, your eternal damnation. He's spared you from that and has a crown of glory that's waiting. So therefore, the ultimate cries of our hearts have already been answered in eternal glory. So therefore, we should continue to trust Him, to praise Him together, and encourage one another in these words. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for you taking our crown of thorns, for you giving us the crown of glory of victory that we have not even yet attained, but has been earned for us because of your active and passive obedience and your life on earth. You are our current King reigning over all things. But Lord, our hearts ache with troubles and trials and struggles and temptations not to trust you, but to trust in chariots and horses and other princes. In those moments, remind us of who you are, what you've already done for us. You've already given us the victory. Encourage us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.